was something that I didn't realize when I was first starting to like figure out how to network my way into a job was you don't necessarily know who you know who will have some sort of connection for you in that way. Like, But it turns out that if you do reach out to people and let them know like what you're working towards, I think you'll be surprised at how many people you know have like tangential connections to things that you might find interesting like that. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I speak with successful developers about their advice on learning to code and how to get your first junior developer job. I'm Alex and today I'm joined by Amy Corson, a self-taught developer from Chicago. Amy graduated with a theater and telecommunications degree and spent years trying to write for television. That's pretty cool, but when the pandemic hit, it got a lot harder for Amy to meet other comics and Rift, so she decided to rescale from home and learn to code with Scrimba. Along the way, Amy joined a meetup slash coding group, and this group completely changed her trajectory as a self-taught developer. This was a really smart move by Amy because she identified early on in her job search, the companies were not only looking for individual project experience, but they also wanted to see that you were capable of working in a team. Not only did Amy get that team experience here, she made a connection that led her to the first job. It wasn't easy, mind you, to find and integrate into a coding group like this. So in this episode, Amy's going to show you step-by-step everything you need to know and what to expect. By the way, I'm not sure if you can relate to this feeling of always checking your phone to see if a company has replied to your job application or your interview. I can't seem to break the switch when it comes to those kind of things. But Amy had the good idea to join her family on holiday in the mountains, but there's no connection. But somehow she briefly got connection and a vague text from the company. It didn't say whether she got the job or not, it just said call me or something. Stay tuned for the hilarious story about how Amy and her family frantically had to find a connection to learn her fate. You are listening to the Scrimba podcast. Let's get into it. I graduated college with degrees in theater and telecommunications. I don't think that telecommunications is really a degree that's offered very much anymore. (laughs) So it's sort of a a degree from a bygone era. But when I graduated college, I really wanted to be a comedy writer. I wanted to write for television. I moved to Chicago right after college, which is sort of a big comedy hub in the United States and spent the first like five years that I was in Chicago working like a daytime data entry position and spending like most of my nights and weekends taking classes, writing, performing around the city. And then obviously a lot of that changed when the pandemic started. And I realized, you know, there just weren't any opportunities to get on stages. It was a lot harder to write. It's really hard to do that stuff in a vacuum when you're just kind of hanging out at home. So really all I was doing at the time was this like data entry position that I realized in a vacuum, I really didn't enjoy it. You know, it's not super compelling work. I was working for a company that, you know, they were nice, but I I wasn't super passionate about what I was doing. So I think I was just sort of casting around looking for skills that I could develop that would help me find something that I thought was a little bit more compelling. And my brother actually is a self-taught developer as well. And he had just, I think, gotten his first developer position around the time that I was looking to make some sort of career change. I think he actually recommended Scrimba to me. I don't know if he took the career path, but he had taken a couple classes in React on Scrimba. And he was sort of like, you know, I think that this is a skill that 
you have the capacity to learn. He had gone through the process. So he had a lot of resources that he could share with me. And after taking, I think like one or two classes, I was sort of like, well, I might as well give this a try. And I really loved it. It's funny how that goes. Coding a lot of the time is a career that people don't consider, or maybe they even know about, but rule themselves out of for one reason or another. I don't know maths. I'm not smart enough. I'm not a nerd, blah, 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 blah. But then it's just knowing someone who's done it. It kind of opens the door. You realize that you can do it too. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I came from like a really more arts-based background. And I think the thing that my brother said to me that really made me feel like it was possible wasn't that he thought that I would be very good at it. Cause I don't think I would have thought that he was right. <laughs> um, but what he said was, he was like, I think anyone can learn how to do this. And I think after going through the past couple of years and learning how to do this myself, I think that that's true. You know, it's a skill like anything else. And if you put the time in, you can learn it, you know, just as well as anyone else can. What is it that you enjoyed about coding? Cause obviously it's something you need to stick at for a sustained period of time. You need a bit of that internal motivation, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that my, the way I went about it I wouldn't recommend, <laughs> which is that pretty much immediately I quit my job. Wait, how immediately are we talking? <laughs> so I think I was sort of on the way out at the company. This was like in the summer of 2021. So you have to remember the context was like the pandemic was starting to quiet down. People were allowed to see their friends again. Like I was getting out of the house for the first time in over a year and things just felt very fresh and new. And I knew I wanted to make some sort of career decision. I was tired of, of working my job. So I think I was taking pretty introductory coding classes just online for about a month or two. And I just kind of reached a point where I was like, I feel like I'm going to quit my job. I don't think that I have the discipline to work a full-time job and really throw myself into learning how to do this. So I just sort of decided to make the leap and I, I quit my full-time job. I did wind up getting a part-time job pretty quickly, but I spent the majority of my time during the day learning to code. And again, it was a really bad decision. It did work out for me, but I, I don't think that that advice is necessarily replicable. I think that I, I was in a really privileged position. I had some savings. I knew that like if it came down to it, I would have support, you know, but it was very stressful. But ultimately, it did kind of give me the push I needed to really like focus in every single day because, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I had kind of like painted myself into a corner, so to speak. How long did it take you from the moment you quit to getting hired as a developer? After I quit, I took a little bit of time before I really got into coding. I would say it took me a little bit over a year. I quit my job in August of 2021 and I got hired in September of 2022. That's a fantastic timeline. I mean, and I love the fact that it happened around summer as well. Just feels like a good vibe all around. Yeah, it was nice. So you found yourself in a position where you could make learning to code your full-time job, essentially, because you had most of the day at least to focus on it. Did you kind of start every day as a blank canvas and just sort of figured out maybe what spoke to you on that day? Or did you take a more structured approach where you said, okay, I have these dedicated hours every day to learn to code. I know it's going to take a few months at least. Here's my curriculum. Here's my plan. Yeah, I would say that having the Scrimba front-end developer career path available to me right when I started was huge, you know, because that is so many consistent hours of curriculum. 
It's projects that you can work on. It's a community of people who have ideas of other projects you can work on. It took me about five months to work my way through the curriculum. And so that was great. I think I just treated it more or less like a full-time job. I would wake up in the morning around 9 a.m. I would sit down at my computer to work my way through some courses. And then by the time I finished it, I had a good enough grasp on like some portfolio projects I wanted to work on that I then could kind of take the discipline that I had gotten from being able to sit down and work my way through the curriculum and apply it to working my way through personal projects, working on my portfolio, applying to jobs, that sort of thing. Oh, cool. What kind of projects did you build? So a lot of my projects did come out of the Scrumbook curriculum. So I built the quiz game that everyone builds if you go through the front end developer career path. That's the uh, quizzical one you build with Bob, right? As part of the React Course. Yeah, yeah. I built that. Um, I did a little bit of a redesign of it, of just like the styling to make it my own. I put that in my portfolio. The biggest project I probably worked on was I built a website for um, a restaurant in my neighborhood that I really liked. And I, you know, built an entire shopping cart app and some very basic payment forms, that sort of thing. So just a, a real like top to bottom website for a small business. That's awesome. Which actually, yeah, wound up taking a, quite a bit of time. <laughs> this is just a restaurant you liked and you felt inspired to build a website around or was it a conversation with the restaurant itself? No, I, I knew that I wanted to work on some sort of shopping cart application that felt like a good challenge for me. And I knew that choosing a place that I cared about would probably lead me to work on it a little bit more. Yeah. It was honestly just a Thai restaurant that was a couple blocks from my apartment that I just was like, well, I might as well do something for them. I also saw that they didn't have a website. So I was like, well, maybe if this goes well, I didn't feel confident enough as a developer at that point to reach out to them and say, let me build you a website. But I, I figured, you know, if it goes well, if I if I come up with something that I think looks pretty nice, maybe I can reach out to them then and say, hey, I built you this website. Would you have any interest in this? Did it ever come to that? You know, it's not a very good end of the story because unfortunately, around the time that I would have probably felt comfortable reaching out to them, they went out of business. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. They needed a website, Amy. That's their problem. I know. I know. Well, actually, and I don't know if, if this is getting too far away from the point, but I was really sad when I saw that they went out of business and then I found an article in the local newspaper about it. It turns out that they had so many rampant health code violations. It turns out none of us <laughs> should have been eating there at all. <laughs> oh, that's dreadful. So, yeah. <laughs> I will be right back with Amy Corson in just a second. But first, Jan, the producer, and I had a quick favor to please ask of you. Hello, that's right. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving it a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you're listening to this. If you can rate and review podcasts, please rate and review ours. Last week on the show, I read some of your reviews and that might happen again. So yeah, you give us some social proof and we give you a shout out. The Scrimba Podcast is a weekly show. If you subscribe to it, you'll get a new episode in your feed every Tuesday. One week, we're talking to a recently hired junior and another with an industry expert. Next Tuesday on the show, Patrick Akil. He's a software engineer, Golang trainer, and the host of the Beyond Coding Podcast. I didn't always have my eyes on coding. I wanted to make video games, and then I made a poor choice of, I think, high school electives, basically, because I couldn't do game design. I couldn't be a programmer. I couldn't pick the university that allowed me to be a game developer. So I picked something that was still adjacent to tech, but also was kind of more business related in a study that's called information studies. 
Uh, some people call it information science. But in there, I learned a lot about like business development, business studies, as well as a little bit of programming skills. Then when I got out of university and I got my bachelor's degree, I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I had a lot of struggles with that actually as a kid, but I picked a job which was really broad and I started off in operations. In a more traditional organization, you would have the development organization or the part of the business unit that would develop the code and then would pass it on to the operations people to put it into production. So that was my role. But that also came with a lot of frustration because in production, I could see some behavior that wasn't what it was supposed to be but I wasn't responsible and I didn't have access to fix it. That's Patrick Akil next Tuesday on the Scrimba podcast. And now we're back to the interview with Amy. I'm glad to hear that Scrimba was the kind of foundation of your web development learning path. And you also took it in your own direction a little bit, building on top of the Scrimba projects, but also building your own. That's something we always encourage everybody to do because it really exercises your brain, makes you a better developer, helps you really practice without someone guiding you. And I like the way you were thinking about it in terms of solving a problem. You know, there's a lot of type of utility tools or calculators or whatever, even fun random pages you could build. But building it around a shopping cart and a restaurant you know and like, I think that's a great idea. It's just a shame <laughs> the way it ended ultimately. Yeah, I probably could have chosen a better restaurant, I guess. <laughs> I also noticed when you were learning on Scrimba, you were taking part in the community through the Scrimba Discord server. What was that experience like for you? Did community play a role in your success? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that one of the most difficult challenges of learning how to code by yourself is, or learning how to code without the security of a more formal boot camp is it can feel very isolating. You know, like I woke up every day, I sat in my apartment by myself and just like logged on and tried to solve problems by myself and having access to Scrimba and the Discord and having access to so many other people who are going through the exact same thing that you're trying to do at the same time and dealing with the same problems or maybe they're a little farther along and they can give advice or maybe you're a little bit farther along and you can help out. Like that's such an important resource, I thought. It was so nice, like so much of coding, I think, is just banging your head against a problem until you can solve it. But oftentimes, like I really benefited from being able to reach out to the community and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this and to have someone come back and really earnestly try to help you. I thought that that was such an important resource for me. So you've been learning to code. When did you decide it was a good time to start ramping up for your first job? Did you start applying early on or did things change quite quickly once you decided to start applying? I started applying to jobs right after I finished the front-end developer career path. Even though I felt like I probably wasn't ready for a developer position, it seemed better to start getting myself out there. When I was starting to apply to positions, I was sort of naive about it. I thought that just applying would get me sort of like in the door. I would be talking to a lot of people. I would have a lot of people reaching out to me. And as any developer who's self-taught will tell you, that's really not the case. <laughs> I got a lot of like standardized rejection emails right away. It was a couple months of really not hearing anything at all. I think I started applying in like January of 2021. I wasn't really getting that much traction around it. And so I think that a lot of my efforts around finding a job sort of went into networking, you know, 
figuring out who in my circles had any sort of connection to any sort of company that might be looking for developers. And I also wound up like talking to some developers, reaching out to them through mentoring websites and over LinkedIn and just trying to like talk to some people in the industry. And a big thing that I started to find was that people were not only looking for individual project experience, but they also wanted to see that you were capable of working on a team, which is a little bit difficult if, like I said before, you're just kind of hanging out in your apartment all day working on your own projects. Right. So I actually started going to this like local Chicago meetup group that does like civic open source technology and meeting a lot of people. What does that mean, civic open source technology? There's some different iterations of this in different cities. The one in Chicago that I go to, it's a group of people. There are a lot of people there who are data scientists, researchers, developers who are all sort of interested in solving local community problems through technology. So for example, the project that I worked on, Chicago has this problem with their public transit where there'll be like a bus that's scheduled to come and then the bus will never actually come. People here have kind of dubbed it like this ghost bus problem where you're getting consistently ghosted by the buses. (laughs) So the project that I worked on with this team was, you know, we had a couple data scientists on the team that were able to scrape all of the data from like the city's API and compare it to what the schedules were saying. And we were able to sort of graph how well the buses were doing across the city. So that's just one example of what this group would do. Honestly, that sounds incredible, Amy. I mean, just the fact that you get to hang out with these other developers, absorb it all, but then contribute to these genuine problems around your local area. Was it difficult at all to get integrated into a group like that when you're new to development? I think I got a little bit lucky, actually. So the first meeting I ever went to, there were a couple different groups working on different projects. I found myself really interested in this bus project and in some of the first meetings, I was the only front end developer there. And so I actually got the opportunity to build out a lot of the front end logic and design. And so then by the time the project started to get some traction, like I was a really key player on that team. You know, then I could go in to interviews and to my current position and, you know, talk about this experience I had had working in this capacity where I had actually been able to do like a lot of the work. But then it was also very helpful because throughout the course of the project, a lot of more senior developers wound up coming on board. And so I feel like I got to contribute a lot to the project while also getting really good feedback from people who were already in the industry, which is great. Did you ever get stuck or anything like that? Maybe more front-end developers joined later on, I'm not sure. But at the beginning, especially when you were the only front-end dev, that sounds like quite a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. And if you needed help with something front-end specific, I guess, it might not have been obvious where to go. How did you handle that? I think I did reach out to the Scrimba community a couple times. (laughs) I think... You're right. It was a little bit challenging in the beginning. One of the nicest things, especially being the person who was doing most of the code to begin with, is because I could be really upfront with the rest of the team and say, listen, this is my first larger project. This is my first time working on something like this. Being really upfront with like, this is what I feel like I can learn. And this is what I feel like I already know how to do. So being able to set a lot of the scope for the project on the front end was really helpful. But then also, yeah, the Scrimba community was also very helpful, I think, when it came to asking very small questions about like, okay, how do I work with keyframe animations? You know, revisiting some of the old, I can't tell you how many times I rewatched some of the old front end career path videos just to remind myself things uh, specifically around like React and how to deal with those. 
Now that you've got a job as a developer, I'm really looking forward, by the way, to learn all the specifics around that. I'm just wondering, how much does your job today mirror your experience working on those projects at the local group? Because it sounds like you were getting something kind of close to a real world experience over there. Oh, absolutely. The way I found my current position was actually through the group that I was going to. So when I was working on this transit data project, the data scientist who was running the project, you know, I had sort of told the team, by the way, you know, I'm looking for a job. And that had actually been really helpful. There were other people on the team who worked in the tech industry. Um, A lot of them were able to connect me with people to network with. So I got some really good conversations from across the team. But the senior data scientist on the project, who also happened to work in transit at the time, saw a job posting from the company that I work at now and kind of reached out to me and said, you know, I am not an expert in this, but I'm looking at this job posting and a lot of what they do seems to be in line with like what we've done on this project. So I would recommend reaching out. And she wound up being able to connect me pretty directly to not my manager, but my uh, my manager's manager now. It was completely serendipitous to tell you the truth, because I was able to go into my interview for my current position and say, like, not only do I have like this portfolio of work I've done as a front end developer, so much of it overlaps with what you guys are already doing as a company. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that everything I was doing with this group equates to what I'm doing now in my current position, but it was a really good foot in the door for specifically this role. This is such brilliant advice, honestly. When you're looking for a job as a developer or you're creating your own curriculum and path, essentially deciding what to learn, even though there's an element of discomfort there, you know, you're pushing yourself, you're learning something new, you're putting yourself in a position where you might be rejected. The least uncomfortable way to do it is to stay at home, plan, stick to yourself, just apply for jobs and it can work. You can crack the nut eventually that way. But oftentimes when you integrate into something like a meetup or another type of community, or you're constantly networking, essentially scheduling coffee chats or contributing to open source in some way, maybe what you decide to do is, you know, do a hundred days of code or participate in an open source project, or you make content like blog posts or YouTube or something. I just feel like all these things, whichever combination or single thing you focus on, it increases this is your surface area to get lucky for that serendipitous thing to happen. And not only did you get, I think, some real world experience here, which honestly, I love learning about this. I think it's so cool what you were doing. And I can imagine interviewers and recruiters having a similar impression. And not only that, but it's like collaborative. You you identified that early on that what companies look for oftentimes is someone who is a good team player, who can work together with other developers, who can bring their humility to the table, but also continue to learn. And you weren't just talking the talk kind of thing. Uh, You literally got out of your comfort zone a little bit, I assume. It can't be easy going into a new environment like that. And you got all these things and that eventually led to this discussion with the company you work at today. Sounds like it was probably the best thing you could have done. And it's not advice that we hear very often to get involved in these kind of meetups. But where did you find it, by the way? Was it on like meetup.com or something? I think that the the meetup that I go to is on meetup.com, but it was actually... I learned about it through a friend and it was actually a friend who had no background in technology or any sort of development background at all. Um, It was one of my best friends works in urban planning and she had heard about this meetup because it's sort of a civic tech based thing. She had heard about this meetup from some people that she worked with. And I think that that was something that I didn't realize too, when I was first starting to like figure out how to network my way into a job was you don't necessarily know who you know 
who will have some sort of connection for you in that way. Like, you know, this was someone who was really close to me who I didn't necessarily think would be help to me in finding a job just because she didn't have any connections in the industry. But it turns out that if you do reach out to people and let them know like what you're working towards, I think you'll be surprised at how many people you know have like tangential connections to things that you might find interesting like that. Maybe a a key takeaway there is to be vocal about your career change and maybe, you know, the least post on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or wherever, but even in conversation with friends and new people you meet, I mean, what do people ask when they meet you? They're like, what do you do? You can be like, Hey, I did this. I'm interested in that. But right now my number one focus is becoming a developer. You never know what they might say next, right? They could say, well, Oh, funny. You should mention that because dot, dot, dot. Yeah. I can't tell you how many conversations like that I had. And to be honest, like most of them didn't go anywhere, but I'll also say, you know, I didn't have really much luck with just like cold applying to positions. I very rarely had people reach out to me. The most traction I got, any sort of lead I had on a job, anytime I like interviewed for a position for the most part was because I had talked to someone who either saw firsthand that I could code, like that I could be a valuable member of the team or talked to me and liked me enough to want to put me in front of people that they knew. And so I think that like networking sometimes gets slept on when you talk about like people's personal coding journeys. If you're self-taught, like a lot of times your resume on paper isn't going to stand up to someone who's gone through a boot camp or someone with a computer science degree. I think it's really valuable to put your personality out there and make sure that people know that you're a fun, easy person to work with in addition to know what you're talking about around coding. Oh, 100%. I think that's fantastic advice for any new developer but like you say especially self-taught developers but when you're self-taught you have like no track record no piece of paper anything like that you really have to find a way to to stand out and there's an element here of playing the numbers no matter what you do i think that's always important to remember that you probably need to speak with 10 times more people than you imagined apply to 20 times more jobs than you thought you'd need to the more you play the numbers the more likely you are to be successful by the way but even better is if you can do what you did amy and find a way to put yourself in front of people who can connect you with opportunities when they see that you're a great person to work with and you're clearly dedicated and you have the chops, right? You've got the technical chops as you worked on that application. Yeah, absolutely. You managed to connect with the company you work at today, but you said that you didn't connect with your current manager right away. Can you maybe go to the beginning and tell us the whole sort of interview process, like who you connected with, what they wanted to know and how you found the experience in general? So like I said, a friend of mine from this civic tech group had connected me with the person who is sort of the director of my current team. And it moved, it moved pretty quickly, you know. She put me in a group chat with him, I think on LinkedIn, and introduced me as someone who had been working on a lot of the skills that they were looking for in this role. And the current director of my team sort of said, you know, hey, if, if you're open to it, I'd love to hop on a call like in the next 10 minutes or so. And we can kind of go over what we're looking for in this role, get a sense of like, if you would be a good match. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm not doing anything right now. I like sprinted to the bathroom. <laughs> put on makeup and like found a collared shirt that wasn't too wrinkled and like put it on. And and I went back, I'd seen that he'd messaged me and he was like, is now still a good time? I was like, oh, absolutely. I was, you know, I just stepped away for a second and sat down and, and basically did like a very short interview with him, like in the moment and, you know, talked a little bit about my, my experience working with the civic tech meetup, working with transit data, you know, this, I work on a transit data team now. So just talked about like, you know, working with transit and I was a little bit nervous because this wasn't my first time talking to someone who was hiring for a developer position. And my experience up until then had been 
more or less that you know you'll talk to someone who is hiring for this role but maybe isn't a developer themselves you'll have a really good conversation for maybe 10 minutes and then you'll hear back from them maybe the next day or the day after and find out oh they're really looking for someone with more experience so we had this call i wasn't really you know expecting that much to come from it but on his advice you know i submitted an application and it was actually a while i didn't hear back from them for about a month after i had talked to this guy and i had sent him a follow up email you know and just didn't really expect anything to come out of it and then i think like a month later someone from their recruiting team reached out and said we were wondering if you would want to come in for an interview and again at the time you know because i had been applying for positions for months at that point and i knew that like my resume is working against me this is going to be you know my foot in the door but i don't have a ton of tangible experience so i didn't want there to be any surprises you know so I did a lot of preparation for that first interview. Um again, I had been working on this project around transit data. I knew that it was a transit data company, so I spent a lot of time working on the project that we were working on in this civic tech group. I forked it. I created like a little demo of the tool that we were developing. I roped in a couple friends. I said like, "Will you sit with me for like 20 minutes while I do a presentation so I can just practice doing this?" And then when I went into the interview, I practiced like a lot of the more typical interview questions like I <laughs> I made sure I knew my resume backwards and forwards I had a couple of anecdotes like all of the very basic like interview advice you get around knowing how to prep for an interview but in addition to that I had about a 20 minute presentation Sounds brilliant. Yeah, so I came in and one of the first things I said, you know, when they asked me about my background, I said, you know, this is how I kind of wound up in front of you guys, but I was wondering if you wouldn't mind if I walked you through this and they were like, of course. And so I spent maybe 10, 15 minutes kind of talking about this project and showing them firsthand the code that I had written. And I think that that really helped, you know. And again, like it was sort of an unconventional situation if you're applying for jobs, like not every single interview are you going to have a project that so perfectly fits like the job description, but it was really helpful I think to like go a little bit above and beyond and and bring something into the interview that was more than just like my resume. You obviously felt strongly that this would be a good way to start the interview by demonstrating the project related to transit. What was your motivation to do that? I guess I felt like this was is my best shot so far. I mean, I've said this a couple times now, but just the overlap between this job and the work I had been doing in this group for the past few months, like it felt like a really really good opportunity for me and i just didn't want to blow it you know like i wanted to make sure that if they didn't hire me for this position it wasn't because i didn't try really hard to get the job i think also there might have been something in the email from my recruiter when she talked about like the interview she was like you know if you have any sort of portfolio projects like you want to bring in feel free to and i think i touched base with her later on and i said you know i just want to confirm that like i should bring in some portfolio projects and she said oh actually i don't know if you need to do that you know as a developer i don't think you need to have that and i was like oh is it okay if i do and she was like i guess so like if you want if you want to bring in a project you're more than welcome to so i think it was more of a miscommunication from their recruiting team that i was like but wait can i do this and they said sure so but you knew as well like you knew in your guts probably in your head as well that this was a great way to demonstrate why you'd be a good fit. You don't need to use a bunch of imagination to see how what you were building as part of the hacking group was very relevant to the work they were doing at the company. And you get to tick off all the boxes you know they were looking for. You know, you can demonstrate the code, you can demonstrate your presentation skills. I'm sure you found opportunities to point out how you collaborated with others. It just seemed like a brilliant decision and I'm glad it paid off, by the way. Oh my gosh, me too. <laughs> 
was that it? Like, was it sort of a, an opportunity to present or did they have tough follow-up questions, technical interview questions, maybe? It was actually a, a relatively short interview process. I was expecting, you know, four or five steps. I know a lot of these places you're interviewing for a significant amount of time. But the first round, it was about an hour. I spent maybe, again, 10, 15 minutes sort of presenting to them. And then, you know, the first part of it was a lot of really standard interview questions. You know, tell me about a time that you got feedback that you didn't agree with or, uh, you know, talk about some of the challenges with the project that you've been working on, you know. So the first interview was really just more of a standard, you know, talking interview. And I left it feeling pretty good. Like I, I felt like I had done a pretty good job. And I knew that the second round was going to be a technical interview. I also, I'll be honest, like I was so sure that there had been some sort of miscommunication and maybe they hadn't read my resume. And I, I didn't want to misrepresent myself as someone who had like a ton of experience. So I really made sure I hit in the interview, you know, this would be my first full-time development opportunity. And so I knew if they reached out to me in the future that that wouldn't be a problem. And I think that that actually, for me mentally, was a really good thing to do because then when I got an interview saying that they wanted me to do the technical challenge, I felt like I had made the expectations around my skills very clear. Like I was coming in as a junior developer who, you know, hadn't really done this before. Which isn't to say that I thought that they were going to hire me if I didn't know my stuff, but I just wanted to be going into a team that understood where I was at. I didn't want to get a job where I felt like I was going to be drowning. So by the time I got the interview request for the technical interview, I was like, okay, we're all on the same page about my resume, my experience. And then I did the technical interview, which was also sort of the final round interview. What sort of technology stack were they using? I'm assuming probably this is all front-end web development. And do you remember any of the sort of specific questions they asked? It can be useful for people listening to know, you know, if they were in that position, would they know the answers or not? So the technical interview, they had sent me an email saying that it was going to be in two parts. They told me that the first part would be uh, a more traditional like coding question um, like a problem solving based question. Um, and then the second part would be debugging in Google Chrome or, uh, in any sort of web developer tools. So I actually spent a lot of time like grinding leak code. Well, I say grinding leak code. I'll say like, I still struggle a lot with leak code. I think I was able to complete maybe 10 of the easy problems. And I was like, okay, I think that's about as good as I'm going to get. But what I figured from the email was that they were going to send me some sort of more traditional like coding interview question. And that was the case. I, I think it was like a, a sorting problem. So given a list of strings, like sort them into like a hash hash pair where basically it returns like the number of times each string appeared in the list of strings. I don't know if that makes sense, but basically a pretty up and down sorting problem. I didn't quite get it, uh, but I was pretty close. They told me I was pretty close, so I felt okay about that. And then the debugging part went really well, to tell you the truth, because if there's one thing I knew how to do, it was find bugs in my own code. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's class. So I don't know. I left I left feeling OK about it. I think also like I was really nervous. It was my first real technical interview. Like I had done a couple take home assessments from different companies, but this was my first time coding with someone watching me in a technical interview. So I'm sure I was just like a sweaty mess. But I think, you know, it went well enough and I showed like enough 
personality that I wound up getting the job. What happened next? Like, I can't wait to find out. How long did it take them to get back in touch with the news about your outcome of the interview? Another interesting thing about this period was that I was sort of waiting to hear back about another position that wasn't a developer position. Another thing that I had been sort of pushing in my networking calls was that I was interested in doing like UX stuff, which is true, you know? So I was kind of casting a wide net, looking for opportunities in development, in sort of like UX design, just trying to get a foot in the door somewhere in the industry that I could sort of pivot from there. And I had been sort of talking to this company in Chicago for a while and they had, you know, offered me a contract position doing like very basic UX testing. From the sound of it, it sounded like it was going to be a lot of like looking at the website for typos and then reporting back about those typos. So it didn't seem like extremely interesting work, but it was a job and I really needed a job. And so I, you know, had heard about this contract opportunity. I, you know, had sort of verbally accepted and then I had hadn't heard anything for like two months. And so I had gone from like thinking that I had gotten a job to realizing like I was back at square one. And that was sort of all happening during this time when like I was also waiting to hear back about my application from the company that I work at now. So I went through this entire interview process with my current company. I finished the technical interview and they told me, you know, we need about a week. We have other people to interview, but we'll try to get back to you like early next week. I actually wound up going to Glacier National Park with my family that week. <laughs> so I was like, this is great. I'm going to go do some hiking. I'll get out of my head. I'll get into the woods and like, I'll, I'll be away from my phone. I won't be like chronically checking my email. Yeah, that's hard to avoid, isn't it? When you're waiting to hit back from a company, just every little buzz or notification, you want to double check it. You know, it's not going to change the outcome. Like, you know, might as well disconnect for a bit. Yeah, it was really, honestly, it was perfect timing. But what happened was the week that I was supposed to hear back about this position, I actually finally got the contract for this contract job that I had been ghosted on for like two months. So they sent over the contract and they were like, okay, we're finally ready for you to start. Go ahead and sign this contract and we'll get you started right away. And I was panicking because I was like, oh my God, like I've had this like better opportunity that I'm waiting to hear back about. And I'm, I'm worried that now I have like these two things and I'm going to wind up losing both of them. So I wound up having to go back to my current company and saying, listen, I know that you're still deliberating, but I want you to know that I have another offer and I kind of need to hear back sooner rather than later. So I don't wind up with zero jobs. And they got back to me. They were really nice. They said, thanks for letting us know, you know, we think we'll be able to get you something by tomorrow. By the way, Amy, was that a tough email to send? I think it's the perfectly correct thing to do and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. But, you know, you feel a bit sheepish sending an email like that in case you're trying to pit the offers against each other or something like that. Oh my gosh, it was so scary. And they had told me, you know, at the end of my technical interview, they had said, you know, we need about a week, we'll get back to you next week. But in the meantime, if anything comes up, if you have any questions, if you get another offer, please let us know. So they had said pretty explicitly, if this exact situation comes up, please let us know. Of course, when I <laughs> when I was doing the technical interview, I thought I had no other options. So of course I was like, mm -hmm, of course I will, not thinking that that was ever gonna happen. So so it was nice that they had said, you know, we would like to hear about this if it happens. But it was, it was, it was terrifying because yeah, you know, you never want to come across that you're trying to be manipulative or like that, you know, you're, you're trying to pit two companies against each other. Like you said, it helps that like, you know, I was with my family, everyone there was like, 
you have to do this. Like, this is a really good power play. (laughs) (laughs) It can't hurt for sure. But yeah, it was scary. And I think when you're in that situation, like now looking back, of course, like it wasn't only a good move. It was honest. You know, I I needed them to get back to me so that I could make a decision about what was best for my career. But yeah, they, they said, you know, give us another day and we'll get back to you. And then the next day, went into Glacier National Park with my family away from cell phone reception. And around noon, we left the park and I saw that I had an email from my recruiter that was just very like, very nebulous, like, hey, I gotta give you a call sometime today. So I had to send her an email back and be like, hey, I'm not in cell phone service right now. Can I talk to you in like 45 minutes, we're driving back into town? And she said, yes. So I spent this 45 minute, the sweatiest car ride I've ever been on with my family. Just like (laughs) everyone in the car was silent. Like we were all just so nervous. So we got into town and the rest of my family like goes into this store or something. And I'm like standing on the corner, like waiting for this call from this recruiter. And of course, like they're all watching me from the window to see my reaction. And yeah, she called me. She she told me that I got it. She gave me the offer over the phone. And oh, it's just the best day. so nice got to spend the rest of that vacation just not worried about a single thing it was really it was fantastic oh my gosh what a weight off your shoulders i mean it must have just made it so easy to enjoy the rest of your time i just can't believe it all happened while you were disconnected the only worst thing would be is sometimes at least in my email client on my phone i'll get a push notification with like the subject and the first few words of the email but it won't believe it or not actually load until i'm connected to the internet so i thought for a second you might describe you know having a nebulous sort of email in your push notifications only only you couldn't actually read it but oh my gosh how elated you must have been to get that news and did you just accept it on the spot pretty much or i did yeah i know that you're supposed to do a certain amount of negotiation around like your salary and your benefits when you're on the phone and maybe i should have i think that companies sort of expect that to a certain degree like the same way that it wouldn't have been offensive for me to tell them that i had another offer it wouldn't have been offensive for them to get a counter offer on my salary but like I had been pretty, you know, they had asked me my salary expectations coming in and the offer was a little bit more than what I had told them that I was looking for. So I accepted it on the spot (laughs) because I was like, well, they've already done the negotiation for me. Yeah, I don't I really don't need to, to push back on this at all. And to be honest, you've got your whole career to make a bunch of money. I think you know your position when, you know, you were applying for a lot of jobs. You had two opportunities, which sounds amazing. But you also, I think, saw how this could be a great platform for you. Right. I think oftentimes when it comes to your first developer job, you know, you've got every right to negotiate. And I wouldn't necessarily discourage it, but you you can trust your gut and you can sort of see the whole picture here and see that, you know, you need enough money to pay your bills and to save a little bit, hopefully and live your life and get to work happy and healthy and all these things and hopefully thrive a little bit. I think this could be a controversial opinion. I do think you need to get paid enough that is fair and hygienic and that you can support yourself, obviously, and not struggle. But I also think that the opportunity is worth a lot of money. That's how I see it. Um, because you're going to be in an environment, hopefully, where you're getting exposed to all this information, all these resources, you get some mentorship and things change very quickly once you get your first developer job. It's a joke that when you've got no experience, experience on your LinkedIn, you get crickets in your inbox. But the day you get your first developer job, you know, all of a sudden you've got messages in your inbox from recruiters and things get a little bit easier from there. At that point, you're in a much stronger position, I think, to negotiate. And uh, if you do need to go back to the company and say, hey, this isn't going to work for reasons X, Y, Z, I can't support myself on this, or I don't think this is in line with the market rates, then that's totally fair. But when you look at the whole picture, you knew that it was 
a fair offer, I'm sure. And uh, I guess that's why you took it on the spot. Yeah, I strongly agree with that. You know, like what you said about getting your first developer job, I think is absolutely true. Like really what I was looking for is just a foot in the door. And if you're looking for money, I feel like money in this in this field is is pretty easy to come by if you know your stuff and you can keep you know moving in a forward trajectory. But I strongly feel like in this first role, I'm learning so much already. I've been there for a few months and I feel like it's like an exponential change in the amount that I'm learning. And and the fact that I'm getting paid to do it is really incredible. So I strongly agree. I think that, you know, getting the offer that I got and knowing, well, I think it was a really nice, you know, show of goodwill on their part to, <laughs> to see my offer and raise me a little bit. But yeah, just coming out of that, knowing that like, okay, I'm going to be able to support myself and I'm going to have a foot in the door in an industry that is really growing. Um, yeah, I strongly agree. I didn't feel like there was much negotiation I needed to do there. Yeah, I think salary is just one part of any any compensation package or offer or job. There are other things to consider, like your your flexibility of where and when you work, the impact of your work, if you agree with the mission. Maybe you don't want to have to put up with bureaucracy and you like a flexible, fast-moving team. Maybe you just really like the team. It's funny, I, I remember my first junior developer job interview and I left that day with a smile on my face and I thought, I really like these people. I'd feel so sad actually if I didn't get a chance to come back and you know work with them. And, and that, that really kind of stuck with me and didn't feel the need to negotiate in that case. And then, yeah, like you, you might want to consider things like job stability or even the market. I mean, I do think it's important to recognize that the developer market is a global market and the way things work in like New York and San Francisco and London might be very different from the way they work in, in smaller towns or areas or regions. And it depends a little bit on the, the vertical the company is in as well. If it's like a VC funded high growth type of company with a bunch of money in the bank, then you probably should ask for a bit more. I think that's a good idea. But you can always look at the type of company and what their mission is and, and, and sort of make a judgment call. I think getting paid to learn is the dream scenario. That was a quote that really changed my view on things. I think it was like, I wouldn't normally take advice from Mark Cuban, to be honest, but I think it was him talking on a panel and he was talking to a bunch of graduates and he said, you know, you just paid a bunch of money to learn whatever you learned. Now go and get paid to learn. And I was listening to that as a self-taught developer so many years ago, thinking, well, damn, I didn't even pay to go to school. Like I just taught myself to code, you know, and like, you know, a few hundred dollars maybe on courses and things. I might as well just skip to the good part. And uh, I'm glad to feel like you're in a, in a sort of similar productive situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that a company hiring really any junior level developer to a certain extent is just an investment in that person. And I really, you know, what you said about walking away from the interview, feeling like you liked the people you were talking to. I definitely felt that way during my interviews. I felt like I had the suspicion walking out that I would be a good culture fit. You know, my first day I was reading, they sent me an onboarding packet with like the bios for everyone that would be working with me on the team. And I'm not going to lie, I got a bit intimidated because, you know, I'm working with all these people. A lot of them have master's degrees, like a lot of them have computer science degrees. There's some really good schools on the list. Like most of these people have been doing this for a really long time. I think when you compare yourself to just other people's resumes, it's really easy to be like, why am I here? You know, like, I, I don't know how to do any of this stuff yet. But I think like my first couple meetings with the company, I started to realize like, no, you know, like I'm a good fit on this team and I've demonstrated that I can learn pretty quickly and that I have an interest in what they're doing. And so I, I can understand the company from the company's perspective, you know, you want to invest in people who long term are going to be able to grow with you. And so it's really an honor to be like chosen for a company to be investing in someone. I'm really glad that it was me. <laughs> 
But yeah, it's absolutely, it's an investment on their part in their future, hiring developers who are going to be able to like learn and grow with them. That is an absolutely fantastic point and a, and a great point to end on, I think. Junior developers are awesome, great investments. You bring so much value to the table and it's always great to find an opportunity where you can continue to grow and learn and yeah, make, make moves. Amy, thank you so much for joining me on the Scrimba podcast. It's been a pleasure. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun to talk to you. That was the episode number 99 of the Scrimba podcast. Thank you for listening. And if you're just discovering this show, that means you have, well, almost 100 episodes to listen to from our backlog. And that's a good problem to have. Make sure to check out the show notes for the resources from this episode, as well as all the ways to connect with Amy. Also, if you made it this far, subscribe. And if you've learned something from the show, please consider sharing it with someone. You can share the podcast on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Discord, or maybe you can show it to someone in person. But if you're talking about it on Twitter, make sure to mention Alex. You will find his Twitter handle in the show notes, and he will almost certainly reply to you. I'm your producer, Jan, and we'll be back next Tuesday. See you!